What a day, what a day, what a beautiful day. The video camera came on and I saw David Deal and it looked like he should have a parrot perched on his shoulder with that beautiful little Tommy Bahama thing you got going on. I made myself a drink. He's got himself a Croatian beer. Cheers to you, my friend. Cheers to you, my man. Happy Wednesday. And like Jackie Moon said, let's get fun. By the way, it's 241. It feels, it's a good day. Um, I'm sitting here, I'm looking day. at your face. I'm looking at some NBA playoffs. I promise I'm not going to get distracted. Um, but I, every time I look up, you're over at the Giants facility. Is it, I just want to know, man, how you doing? Is it, is it cool to be out there and like being able to focus on something right now? It is. I mean, you know, you think about it, we've been waiting just for some type of sports. And for me, you know, you got the NBA, you've got NHL, now with football back, especially last week with full mm. pads, it's like it's really here. You finally get that anticipation, and you're excited about the upcoming season. And, I mean, not only just from a Giants perspective, but now sitting here, Tom Brady is in a Buccaneers wow. jersey. Cam Newton is in a Patriots yep. jersey. Like, it's not just the mirages and people doing the color screen and changing it on Instagram. Mm. This is the real thing now. And with NFL training camps opening, it is beyond exciting. But it's different, man. It's completely different from the years past sitting there watching. So, on you've been able to really watch. You've been out there? Okay, so hold on. Take me through through, um, what normal first day of pads was like for you. Like, I just want to know, like, during a normal training camp, when when you knew it was pad day, because I know you, you like to hit people. Did you wake up that day, like, super happy? Of course. I mean, that, that's what the, the game is all about. It's about f- physicality and your will up against the guy's mm. will for 60 plus minutes. And it's about. I disagree. I believe it's all about ball. analytics and the run pass option. <laughs> <laughs> but it is. I mean, it, it, this is the best time of football is when you put on the pads, because unlike this year where you don't have mini camps and OTAs, you know, I'm sitting out there doing one on ones with OCU Manura with zero shoulder pads on and just a helmet. Okay, try to get a piece of surface area on a guy who can bend, twist, and contort on the bend edge of the defensive end position. Now, when you put on full pads, it's an even playing field. There's surface to hit. You get to be physical, and there's no more. But that practice, uh, I, that, I feel it. like that's always the practice where there's a fight the first time. I feel like that's the practice oh, where people are trying to assert their place in the locker room sometimes. No question. I mean, the physical people on the football field are the ones that win. You know, everybody looks good when they're wearing the jersey and helmet. People separate themselves when they get hit in the mouth and have to get back up. And and that's the greatest thing about the game of football. And the interesting thing to see is, is with this Giants football team, sitting here watching this team, it, you're looking at such a young team. I mean, 70% of the team is under 26 years old. And the longest vested Giants player on the roster currently is Sterling Shepard. So when you see that, you see the evolution of a roster. You see the evolution of a team. And I will tell you, the first time that these pads came out at Giants practices, it was a rude awakening for some of these young players that haven't gotten hit in a long period of time. Let me start off positively, because I just want to state for everybody, when you say the first thing about a team you watched is, man, they're young, that is that that to me is so telling. That's all I need to know. That's all I need to hear. It's the same thing of when I hear, oh, man, what's that quarterback prospect like? Man. His teammates love him. What? 
If the first thing you're saying ain't he's he's goddamn John Elway, I don't give a shit. <laughs> like it's crazy. But but to it's that, like when you ask somebody a question and they're not telling you the truth, and the scratch gets higher on their head, like Seinfeld. It's all poker time. <laughs> it is, but you know the thing is, this needed to happen. I mean, when you're sitting here looking at the Giants, who gave? Roster, I want to know though on that first it. day, who who came <laughs> forward and was like, "No, welcome." Well, I mean, obviously, when you're sitting here looking up front at this defensive line, I mean, I, I've been very impressed with the way that Leonard Williams has been playing, Delvin Cook, or uh, I'm sorry, Delvin Tomlinson on the inside. I mean, those are two big bodies. Dexter Lawrence looks in unbelievable shape. And then when you're looking up front at the offensive line, I'm I'm excited about the competition. Tell me about this have. Andrew Thomas kid. Oh, I mean, uh, you know, he was one of the top tackles going into the draft. I'm beyond excited that they have a blindside tackle now. You know, obviously things have changed with Nate Solder opting out because of coronavirus, which is completely understandable with his previous health condition and what's going on with his family. So everybody's thinking about him and understands why he made that decision. But that puts more of an emphasis on Andrew Thomas to be able to adjust and adapt quickly to a brand new offense, a brand new football team, knowing that he's gonna play immediately. And it puts more on Will Hernandez. Will Hernandez going into his third year, this is the time that you prove yourself as a veteran player and his communication skills and his player are going to be huge for the left side. If you're listening to the Left Coast Show right now in the last few months, you've heard me talk about sports cards, the NBA, a fantasy football league. What you're about to hear me do is going probably about an 11 minute deep dive into New York Giants offensive line play. Buckle up. It's going to get fucking weird. Deal. I'm sure that when you see an offensive lineman, that you could probably turn to your friend and 90% of the time within three snaps, you've probably nailed it. Would you agree with me? Okay. okay. What was your first reaction to watching Andrew Thomas move? I was excited. Okay. I mean, you're talking about a guy as big body can beat defense vents to the point or six intersection and whether it's a three, five, seven step drop. And the thing that I truly love about him is I haven't seen him make the same mistake twice with his technique. You know that it's going to take time to build up with the me mental capacity that you need, is playing, especially playing left tackle. I'll never forget, I was playing right guard my rookie year. We're playing the Rams opening game. They ran a Mike Strong Safety Sam Blitz in between the A and B gaps directly at me. I gave him a sack on my opening play of the NFL. Woo. We get to the sidelines, they're like, what happened? I'm like, Mike Sam Strong Safety. They're like, you have to squeeze everyone down. I'm like, we didn't even talk about that going into this game. So it goes to show you what they're going to do to you, especially when you're in a, a blind position coming into an NFL system that is new to you. You're going to get everything thrown at you immediately from the defensive coordinator because what are they looking to do? They're looking to break your will as a young player. How are you going to be able to respond from having adversity starting off in your season? I'm just going to say, though, that – the fact that you said it's exciting is great. There, I don't wish having no left tackle on any team in the NFL because I know that we're going to talk about quarterbacks and pass rushers. For me, the blindside offensive lineman can literally be a three, four game swing in a season. I really believe it's that important. I and when I too. look at the NFC East and I look at the last few years, Washington had their Trent Williams era. And since he hasn't been there, it's been a mess. Philadelphia had nobody. Yeah. Remember, OC had six sacks on on uh, Justice Winslow, or not Justice Winslow, Justice Winston, Winston Justice. 
And then we had Jason Peters for a long time, and we felt good. Before Tyron Smith, the Cowboys were a mess. Uh, And the Giants, candidly, even with Nate Solder, it's been a mess really since you left. And so for me, if they think that this could be the guy, and you get the leader in Zeitler, and you have what everyone really believes in Will Hernandez as like, is he ever going to be the most athletic guy at his position in the league? No. But could he do it for like 14 years and just beat the shit out of people? Yeah, I think he can. And so I look at the Giants with with Daniel Jones and Saquon, and I don't know if any of those wide receivers are long-term. I'm just going to kind of say that. But I think that they have a really good core that I think Jason Garrett and Mike Colombo can really build, Mark Colombo can build with. I definitely agree with you. And the thing that, you know, you have to think about is this is an offense that's going to be predicated on running the football and in diverse ways. If you think about when Jason Garrett was the offensive coordinator, DeMarco Murray, it was outside zone scheme, setting the edge, getting him out in space and letting him build up the speed. And when you look at the way they really run Ezekiel Elliott, it's in between the tackles with play action built completely off. You know what you're going to get to? You're also going to get a Jason Garrett that learned from coaching Zeke the first time and didn't throw him the ball enough early. And then another young guy came in and showed it to him. So it really could be the best utilization of Saquon. I agree with you. And as I continue to say, it's going to be based off of those runs inside zone scheme and having play action passing built off of it so that it looks identical to that run. And when you have a quarterback like Daniel Jones, who has the legs, like we've seen with some of the zone reads that they used to run with Jack Prescott, it keeps that backside defensive end will on and the will honest because they have to worry about contain. That's an extra two, three yards. If it's a cutback run for Saquon Barkley, and now you're setting yourself up for success. I also like what he did with Dak Prescott early in his career, set him up for success early in the game, get him quick slants, get him the, uh, the Y ends and the Y sticks, because now all of a sudden you're getting the quarterback in a groove and he's not overthinking things too much. You're bringing me to Daniel Jones. And I, from what I saw last year, I saw incredible potential. Um, I think I got blinded in the moment about his propensity to fumble when I looked at some of the other really good, strong, unafraid quarterbacks in the NFL. They had fumbling earlier. Russell Wilson, I think, had 29 fumbles in his first two seasons. And people were like, he's never going to get over it. Um, But I do believe that that year, that jump from year one to year two in the same system is really big. And that's my only concern about Daniel Jones is that it's a new coach and it's a new system. Even though I do think the pieces around him are good, how has that adjustment been from from how you're seeing him be a leader and how smooth it's going? I think it's gone tremendously well for him. Obviously, everybody talked about him bulking up. You can see he looks thicker and in better shape than he was last season. And to go back to the fumbling aspect, that's a correctable thing that you can have on your techniques and fundamentals. You see him in practice. They have him working two hands on the ball, swiping at it, people coming around the edge. And almost like when you see wide receivers having the grip test with the football, they're doing that with him to make sure that he stabilizes that football. And when he's reaching and stepping up inside that pocket, he always has two does hands Does he up. talk loudly in practice? Yeah, he does. He does. I mean, you hear him clear out. And, you know, the thing is, is that, if you're not a yeller and a screamer and that type of guy, you can't act like that because everybody on the football team will see right through it. But when he's up to the line of scrimmage, when he's in the huddle, it's clear, it's concise. He has command of everything that's going on. And the thing that even going back to last season to this year, 
The thing that you didn't see last year was outside of the fumbling, when it came to the mental aspect, you never saw the same mistake mm. twice. To the, I love anecdotal bullshit because I think it just adds context. It's like in draft day when they're like, did you know that he had no friends at his birthday party? And it's like, oh, shit, he'll never be our team leader. <laughs> when Daniel Jones is on the sideline uh, drinking Gatorade, do people come over and hang around him or do they leave him alone? No, they hang okay. around him. I mean, he, you know, everybody, they think he's this shy guy, North Carolina. It's because he wears this, this, baby blue dude, button downs North tucked Carolina into some khakis. <laughs> but I mean, he, he definitely is a leader. He's a guy that loves football, has that competitive edge. And really, the team has rallied around him. You know, when you think about this young team, who better to look up to than a guy that came in his rookie year in adverse situations and made the most of it. And when you think about him coming into his second season, the way he spent his offseason getting bigger, getting stronger, and evaluating all the things that didn't go right. It's easy to look at all the things that you did great the year before, but are you really going to go tooth and nail to figure out what you need to do and what are those small details of your, your gameplay and your techniques and fundamentals that not only are going to elevate you, but elevate everybody else on the team? And you see that with this wide receiving core, you see them signaling, you see them communicating, and they're making adjustments at the line of scrimmage quick. When Saquon first came in, bright-eyed, bushy-tail, star of America – now it's two years in and now it's i'm an nfl player i could see my contract coming up in a, in a year or two uh man this this stuff is crazy how much more of a vet is he now can you feel it on him no question i mean you could just feel it in him in the way that he walks around the way that he carries himself and the way that he stepped up even more as a leader on yeah like what are you saying team. You know, going back, to Dan, going back to Daniel Jones, you said, is he vocal? Think about it. Are you really going to get sound bites if you mic'd up Saquon Barkley early on in his career? No. Your actions do the speaking for you. Now he's definitely taking on that leadership role. You hear him talking with everybody on the field. He's bringing people up in the middle, obviously with social distancing and everything. But he has de definitely stepped up as a leader of the Giants. I love team. that. I I like when the NFC East does good, and I I don't, and I don't have to root against you guys. We beat the shit out of you all the time. Well, you still got three Super Bowls to go. That's fine, partner. but I mean, what were we down seventeen you know, nothing last year? Right? Say it again. Uh, how many rings do I have? Two. How many do the Philadelphia Eagles have? Mm. One. Think about that. Well, maybe. Let that sink Look, in. I'm. This is the thing. <laughs> I. I'm happy for you. <laughs> you know, I got to give you a hard time. Ah, shit. Uh, I'm just happy we have one because that would have been a lot more painful if we didn't even have that one. Um, Joe Judge, you know, like, yep. give me the vibe. If, if I walked into a bar, what is he doing at the bar? He is sitting there having a beer just like everybody else, hanging out like a normal By himself, guy. That's entertaining that a crowd. Oh, no. Oh, no. he. I mean, you hear him on the field. He is in direct command of this football team, but he has a personality outside of it. You can see him talking with the players, talking with their families, laughing, telling jokes, walking by. We used to call that drive-by coaching. They'd sit there, give a jab, say something funny, and walk by. But he has direct command of this football team. He's all about discipline. He's all about doing the right thing. And that's going to be, going to be one of the biggest things that we're sitting here talking about you know, this 2020 season, 
games are going to be won and lost by penalties. And it's going to be very easy to see early on. So if you don't have the attention to detail that you have and need to have and not have the type of production because of false starts, because of new players, it's going to cost you games early. And he's not the only one thinking it. We heard Sean McVay say it last night on Hard Knocks. We're not going to be the team that's undisciplined, shoots ourselves in the foot, and costs ourselves to lose games, not the other team. Now, you're like me where when you hire a new coach or they draft a player, if at first it doesn't make sense, you go, okay, I see what they were thinking. And the dangerous thing is, is after that happens three or four times, you're like, damn, these people are letting me down. And so I know you're very hopeful, um, but I'm curious, like, compared to the other coaches that you've seen come in since Coughlin, what about Judge makes you feel more confident? I think his total aspect of the, and the way that he thinks about the game of football, you know, having his background, working through special teams, you have to adapt and adjust on the fly. Things are coming at you. You're dealing with not only special teams, offense, defense, all the interchangeable pieces that go with it, not only just to start a game, but all of a sudden you're starting L4 goes down on kickoff return. You're bringing somebody else up. So he knows the strengths and weaknesses of the entire roster instead of specifically just mm. thinking of and one dimension. And you can see that? that you notice player. him using that? Oh, with, without a doubt. When you hear him talk about players and when I've asked him about players, the way that he describes and gives detail, it's not like you're just sitting there talking to an offensive or defensive coordinator. He's describing it almost like in analytics, like a scout mm. does. Okay, what does he do well? What doesn't he do well? How well does he open his hips? Is he a short speed guy? Is he a long mm. stride guy? Like those are all things that you hear him talk about. So when you have that type of coach that has that type of demand, and the great thing about him is he lets Patrick Graham and Jason Garrett do their thing. He's not a micromanager. Yeah. You know, that's one of the things that a lot of first-year head coaches, they're all over everything. He has trust in his OC and his DC, lets them do his job, but steps in when he needs to to direct it. Man, I'll tell you what. I I always love the special teams guys that become head coaches. We got Harbaugh in Baltimore. Yeah. They got told that they've been trying to get a job in Kansas City for a while. But, yeah, I do. I love that perspective. They did it the hard way. They did it the greedy the gritty right. way. Um, ooh, what? Oh. I'm surprised you didn't ask about the running. What's up? About the running. Man. What do you mean? Joe Judge. These past weeks in training camp when they started on Shit, putting on pads. That's right. Mental errors, false starts, penalties, do laps. Well, listen. And people ask Listen, me, we knew for a long time that there was no team that ran more sprints at the end of practice than the, the New England Patriots. They got the hill out there in Foxborough. They run yep. that hill. When Brian Flores went down to Miami, he put up there – it was like no unforced errors, but he, he wrote it in a really cool way, and you had to run, touch yep. the wall, and come back. Joe Judge is doing the same thing, and it's it's that accountability that, that can change a franchise. It's that culture stuff. No question, and people are like, really, does this work? Is this going to happen? How do grown men respond to it? Think about the demographic of the Giants team. They're all pretty much under 26 years old, so you have a young football team and I go back to my time, my first year under Jim Fossil and the rest of my career under Coach Coughlin. You couldn't have two people from different ends of the spectrum from country club to boot camp. Both of them ran people. Both of them made people take laps during training camp. And I'll never forget my rookie season. Having a mental error 
running the laps and the fans outside of the fences at Albany laughing at you. If that doesn't bring you down and if while you're running, you're losing your reps out on the football field doesn't bother you, I don't know what else will. And people think, oh, well, this is elementary. Guys can't respond to it. That's BS because we know when it came to Coach Coughlin doing those things that he did early on, we needed him as a football team. He couldn't change until until like how he did in 07 to start the leadership committee to let us be more responsible of the locker room and the messages than he was because we weren't good enough to do it and we weren't battle tested. So until you get to that point, you got to figure out who the dogs on your football team are, who are the guys that are going to be able to respond when adversity is hitting them, and who are the guys that are going to be more than anything consistent throughout all of it. Consistency, I think, is important, especially with what's going on outside the stadium. So I was looking at the schedules yesterday because I was like, I wonder who, which games are in hot spots to start the year. And that first week, I think that Tampa is at New Orleans. The second week, though, I was like, this scares me. And it's Buffalo is in Miami. And you're smiling because I think the thing that people don't realize is, is that typical travel, we don't know how it's going to be this year. You get in like a Friday and there's like a few hours you can go out and people go yeah. out. And I'm, I'm curious, like, I, I want to put you into like 31 year old David deal mind where it's like, let's keep this boat together. Like what message do you think the veterans on the teams are saying to the rookies right now before they go on these trips? And I'm not just saying that it's only rookies that go of out, course. but. I think obviously that's something that they're going to have to adjust to once the time comes, but you know, it's going to be completely different than what it used to be like on the road. You know, we were a team that flew in on Saturday, not Friday. So Saturday nights, we had meetings, we had team dinner, we had bed check, we had all that stuff. So we weren't a team that came in, you know, two days early, like some of the teams do that go out have dinners, do whatever they do on a Friday night. But when you truly think about it, a lot of these cities that they're going to be going to are pretty much, either locked down, face masked in, or face masked enforced. And a lot of it is about occupancy and spreading out. So when you think about these teams going on the road, basically taking over an entire hotel in a bubble, they're not going to have that access to go out. Into you don't the think they're going to be allowed to go out at all? No. I mean, think about it. They're already I mean, we have Seattle have Seahawks family. players sneaking in women dressed as players. Are people going to come in? And he cost himself his career. Yeah, but I don't think like, okay, so here, here's my fear. And of course, this is such a shitty topic to talk about because it's the negative side of it. But it is, it's the negative but side. When I look at what happened with baseball and there was the scare and they're like, oh no, are they going to have to shut it down? What they were able to do is they were able to take games that the Marlins were playing, postpone them, and the opponent, yeah. the Yankees, postponed their, or the Phillies, their games with the Yankees. You can't do that in an NFL season where like, that's not possible. And so that's, that's my concern is baseball was able to kind of get away from it a little bit. Cause it's like, we got 60 games. We can play some double headers. That's not a thing for the NFL. And that's sort of where my, my fear is, is that if we have something dumb happen that first game and that shuts down that team and that opponent's team, I don't, that that's like a four. That's a lot. That's my concern right now. Uh, it's my concern too. And that's the one thing when you sit here and think about it, I mean, honestly, just like with this coronavirus and everything that's taking place, anything can happen. 
Imagine all of a sudden we hear about a starting quarterback going into that week testing positive and having to get pulled out. Changes the complete complexion of not only that game, but the next two weeks. So when you think about that and you think about these rosters dropping down, you better be smart on the way that you manage your football team and keep them within that bubble so that you don't have those losses. Because like you said, there's only 17 weeks of this. There's no way of coming back to play remake up games and trying to redo it. So it's it's going to be interesting to see how they play out the first week and how they adjust considering both teams are going to be outside of their bubble. So I've talked to a few players and they're all telling me that at camp, it's incredible how many reps the starters are getting that the main guys, because they need to get up to speed because there's no preseason games and there's 14 practices are getting a ton of the reps. We know that injuries happen in the NFL. We know that, the Eagles were relying on on Greg Ward and Boston Scott at the end of the year. And the Giants yeah. were down three wide receivers. They're down their top running backs, and they're getting run on by Chase Edmonds. Like, that's where the NFL goes. Yeah. I mean, I, I really I'm, – I'm thinking weeks five or six, we're going to see some rosters with guys off the street. Um, I don't – I like – I don't know why. I'm just having a very realistic notion about it today because I'm talking to an offensive lineman. Because you have to. I mean, you have to be realistic about this. And then the other thing that when it takes place is, number one, we're seeing all the injuries across the board, soft tissue, torn hamstrings, uh, you know, all the things that go along with it. There is nothing that you can do to prepare yourself for football conditioning. You can run all the sprints you want. You can lift all the weights that you want but using every ounce of force and strength that you have in your body to move a man from point A to point B, there's nothing that duplicates it. Oh, well, don't you push a sled? Don't you push a truck? Yeah, they don't push back. That's the thing. So when you think about not only the injuries that can pile up, but think about the workouts that usually take place week in and week out on Tuesdays in the NFL. Those are all free agents trying to get onto those teams. How are they going to manage working out players, bringing them in, and not expecting that they could possibly tamper the bubble. That's It's it's going to be so hard to sign guys off the street. You don't want to be negative, but you think about how many guys get like signed on a Monday and they're like, they're like playing that weekend. Like how, in addition now to like, cause you, you don't have all these uh, like on the street free agents sitting in a bubble themselves quarantined. No, I'll never forget my rookie season. We lost the last eight-game stretch. That was the end of the Coach Fossil era. The last week of the season, we're playing the Carolina Panthers. Run out there for stretch for the game. This is the game day now, mind you. Sitting there, you remember the old leg over, lower back stretch? I go to my left. I look to the right. The guy directly behind me, I have no idea who he is, Adam. I didn't know his name. We didn't look. I look over the guy next to me. We signed him the day before, and he was starting on special teams. That, that can't happen now. That can't happen because of although you may have these games, you have to maintain the quality of the product. Mm. Wild. That that's and I, I just keep coming back to it. But then I go into like fantasy brain where I'm like, yeah, but Kyler Murray, <laughs> he's so good. So good. Um, how do you how do you stack up uh, the 2018 draft class? It's I think that the 2018 uh, quarterback draft class could go down as a a sneaky good one, 
that I think a lot of people were looking at 20, uh, no, no, 2019 is what I'm talking about. 2018 is the one that I think people hyped up a lot. Baker, Sam, Lamar, Josh Rose, and Josh Allen. But I think that the Kyler Murray, Daniel Jones, Drew Locke, Gardner Minshew, Jared Stidham. uh, I don't know. I think it's sneaky really good. How do you rank them? I I agree. I mean, I I think that out of the group, Kyler Murray's the best. I mean, he's completely changed the dynamic of that Arizona Cardinals offense and football team. And to get DeAndre Hopkins on top of it, look out and they're going to have to score a ton of points to aid on a defense that was one of the worst pass defenses in the NFL last season. So you know that they're ramped up there. You think about Daniel Jones. I think Drew Locke is going to have an unbelievable season. You think about how they've surrounded him with assets. Melvin Gordon toting the rock out of the backfield, bringing in Gary Kubiak to really, or not, I'm sorry, bringing in Pat Shermer to run that offense. The thing that you may say, you may have your misconceptions. You may think about Pat Shermer the way that you want to based upon his tenure with the New York Giants, but he can develop quarterbacks. Look at the progress that Daniel Jones made last year. So when you think about that run predicated offense taking over with Denver, I think that he can have an unbelievable season. Mm. Minshew's interesting to me because I feel like we should be talking about him more. He scares me at the same time, though, because that fearless attitude only lasts so long. He took some monster totally. hits. And I, and I would say and it's... I remember, sitting there watching the game up against, I remember sitting there watching the game up against the Broncos and then peeling him off of the ground. Incredible. He's got to be smarter with the way that he takes on these hits and gets rid of the football. I always want a quarterback that I'm worried about him early in his career, and then he brings it back. Then a guy that in the early part of his career, I'm going, I just wish he'd let it loose. Those guys never let it <laughs> fucking loose. No, because they played timid and scared. So I believe they that let, Gardner Minshew. the game to somebody else, they let the game come to I them. believe that Gardner Minshew has to play that way because Jacksonville's whiffed on offensive linemen for the last five drafts. And, and you know, it's. And that's who yeah. he is. He is that guy. That's the way that he's always played. It's almost like people telling Cam Newton, hey, he's got to stop running the football. He's been running the ball since he was six years old. That's one of his strengths as a quarterback. So when the practices are going to be cut short and the games are going to be sloppy, who does that usually benefit? Games cut short, a little sloppy. In what regard? Like when it's the first game of the year, and the teams don't feel like they've had a lot of practice time in that first few quarters. How did how did who did it usually feel like it was an advantage to? The defensive mm-hmm. line, playing gaps, getting upfield, followed the football. I mean, obviously, there's more to it that goes into it, but it doesn't take too much practice to figure out how to win your one-on-one. And pass. so then the offensive side, it takes you guys time to kind of build up all the counters and stuff counters, the camaraderie, the communication aspect, everybody being on the same page. Those are all things that take continuity and take time. I mean, you and I've discussed this and I've been saying this for pretty much the last five years. The first four weeks of this NFL season, regardless going into this year, the most pressing question I get, how come offensive lines in the NFL are so bad right now? Because of the off season, no hitting, no short yardage, no goal line, no live periods. How are you supposed to duplicate that when you get to Sundays? It takes time to build it. 
So those teams that do have continuity on their offensive line coming back this year, it's going to be no question that they're going to start off faster than other teams that have one or two new pieces. I also think that the time it takes for those teams to get back will be the longest it's been ever. I think it's going to be because it's, man, these offensive lines coming together, the passing concepts, the new coaching. And it, it also makes me realize whenever I'm watching the first game, the first Sunday of, of NFL red zone, there's always long touchdowns where nobody else is in the frame because it's always blown assignments or one broken tackle and the defense is over pursuing blown coverage, something. kick return touchdowns. That first week yeah. is always nuts. And it's going to be no different this year. I mean, you know, you think about the way that preseason games are played. Think about how many penalties are thrown in a preseason game. Now add that to a regular season where you've only worked on scrimmages in your practices to go to a game type atmosphere with officials that are glaringly looking for each specific thing. It's going to change. the. Here's a, I, this is what I have to talk to you about. And we're going to wrap after this. When you were going right. and having a real fucking battle with like, a Corey yeah. Simon or like just a Corey a, rea- a real that. intense DT. Yeah. You're probably shit talking the entire time, right? Depends. There are certain players like uh, a Chris Jenkins, a Corey Simon. We used to say, don't wake the sleeping giant. Cause those are the guys you don't want to get pissed off. How are you going to stop somebody 380 pounds coming downhill at you if you're talking? There's so no way that, to this stop. Is my, this is my question. When there's a 70,000-person filled stadium, how often could you say something under your breath that they would never hear? Very often. Very often. And that's going to be completely like, give me, different. Give me an example. Like, it's so loud that you could walk away and be like, that motherfucker, and he can't hear you at all? Players that had players that I played up against that weren't in condition or on their bios used to say, get involved in personal battles. I'd go after them immediately in the game because I would go through the whistle. The minute that the whistle at the end of the play was blown, I'd give the shove. I'd give the shove each and every play. Now all of a sudden you got a guy worried about fighting you and not their responsibility and job on the field. Those are things that you get away with now they're talking about possibly today having some fan crowd noise. You're still going to be able to hear everything, everything. that's set out on the field. Because there's always, everything. I'm watching with the NBA where they'll hit a three and then there's a beat. And then it's like, <sighs> yeah. and that's why for me, I'm wondering what is going to happen on the field when, when you score a touchdown and you're yelling about how you're the, you're beating the shit out of them, whatever. Like they're going to hear yeah. everything now. The refs are going to hear course. everything. Yep. But even bigger than that, obviously, if I was an offensive tackle coming into 2020, I'd be excited because I'm not worried about crowd noise. I'm getting off on the third and seven to ten plus without having to worry about the defensive end getting that jump on me. But the big issue is going to be the communication from the quarterbacks to the wide receivers to the defense, when you're going to be able to hear those things absolutely clearly and tie them up to game film, each and every week you're going to have to change your terminology because all of a sudden you're picking up the tendencies. You're going to be able to call things out pre-snap, and now all of a sudden you may have an offense or a defense off battle because they haven't changed those terms. Do you know how crisp 
those MP3 files are going to be on Bill Belichick's computer of the other side. Of it. <laughs> it is going to sound like a true acapella. But I mean, I'd sit there and I'd watch the, the live games of the team that we were playing the following, the next upcoming week. I'd sit there and I'd key in on those things because I could hear the defensive line calls. I can hear their blitz stunts. Now all of a sudden you're taping up to what they're doing. They may change the verbiage. Maybe it's Lee, maybe it's Ray, and maybe it's Larry, maybe it's, it's Roger. It's all the same type of terminology. And once you start figuring out and you're a veteran of the game, if you can pick those things up pre-snap, it's like one of the easiest games you'll play in your uh, life. Speaking of which, why does every time I talk to a former player, do they believe that saying words that start with L and R is going to fool people to not knowing left and right? Like, I, <laughs> if you were like, Larry, Larry, I'd be like, they're going left. He said a word with an yeah. L in the front. Like, why does that, do defensive players not know that? Uh, well, we know that the, the reason why they're on the defensive side of the ball and not on the offensive side of the ball, it does come down to some of the brain cells with it. But it is funny. I sit there and I'm watching games and I hear Roger, Roger. I'm like, okay, the whole slow offensive line is sliding right. They're going to the weak side of the protection. So those are all things that they're going to have to combat, especially in, like I said, a short period of time. It's one thing when you're sitting there doing a Zoom meeting and a call and you're like, oh, it looks great on paper. It's another thing when bolts are flying by you on a game field and you're on the, uh, sitting there in, the, in between a crunch of the third quarter and you're like, uh, uh, okay, like you better be able to respond and you better be smart with that terminology. When I do my preview in the upcoming weeks of the season, where should I have the Giants finishing in the NFC East? That, that's the one thing that is going to – I think that they're going to have a better season than people think. Uh, don't get me wrong, it's going to be an uphill battle for them and it's going to have to take them to click in in all cylinders, especially by midpoint of this season. But truly, the, the team that's on top in the NFC East right now is the team with continuity. It's the Philadelphia Eagles. Same coaches, same coordinators, same roster, building in on like a 2.0 version of the 2019 mm. season. New coaches in Dallas, new coaches in Washington, New coaches in New York. Mm. They're going to have to adapt, and that's not going to be easy. God, and we signed Jason Peters to play guard. Incredible. Kelsey, Jason Peters, Lane Johnson, Think about that. Man, Think about that. Like, <laughs> you don't have to say anything else. You literally do not have to say anything else. And people are like, well, how's it going to be for him to convert from left tackle to the interior? He was a jump setter. He wasn't always a guy that set vertically. He was trying to beat defensive ends to the right. third and fifth kick. So he was always he was timing aggressive. that snap. Now, now you're putting him in a phone booth where a defensive tackle has no, no place play. to work. No. Place. And then and then people want to hit me with, yeah, but you know, there's a lot of questions about Andre Dillard, and I want to go, yeah, and there's not a lot of questions when you can throw two tight ends on that side because the right side is fucking a okay. <laughs> like. Yeah, I mean, literally, there are ways to manipulate schemes to help players. Even if you don't chip with the tight end, if you go with a strong left and you have them next to Dillard, it condenses the space and where the defensive end can work. Oh. So there are always ways that you can help out and manipulate a scheme when you have a right side like the one that the uh, Philadelphia Eagles What right news now. did I miss today about Miles Sanders? Did he get really hurt? Uh, I didn't see news by Miles Sanders. Yeah, no, I didn't see I just want to check this. He is week to week with a lower body injury. At this point, baby, we're all week to week. David Deal, 
Thank you for your time. The place looks amazing. Uh, if, if you're not watching this on Facebook, you're missing out. It's not just a man cave. It is a Stan cave because we stand for David Deal. Pleasure, bro. Always a pleasure. Hope to see you soon. I hope you finished man. your beer. Cheers. Happy Wednesday. You too, brother. David Deal, what an awesome guy. And now I'm excited to think about New York Giants football. Uh, guys, I hope you're great. Again, if you uh, can join the LFGL, we're going to start getting that going soon. Shout out to William Ezel for making it happen. Uh, let's see how many guys we can get in the league, guys and gals. Um, also, I need to uh, give you guys a lesson really quick um, in cards. I know it sounds crazy. It's not a good one because I think if I'm going to talk about how great it is, I also got to talk about lessons that I've learned. And so uh, there are times where you'll be like, Ooh, that looks great. I'm going to make a steal. And for me, uh, I did it and it, it, it bit me back. So here's the truth. 1986 Fleer is a beautiful set. That's where Michael Jordan's rookie card is and all of that. And I was like, you know what? Let me see. I loved a lot of players. Oh, I love Barkley. Ooh, man, I love Moses Malone. And I got a Moses Malone 1986 Fleer. And I was going to get more. And I was like, man, these are so cheap. Like, these are so cheap. Like, the card community should be ashamed of themselves. They've been missing the boat. Moses Malone is one of the best players of all time. And then I realized that Moses Malone was not drafted in 1986. Moses Malone was drafted in 1975. And not only did I not get Moses Malone's rookie card, I got the worst thing ever for a Sixers fan. I got the card in which he was traded from the Sixers to the Bullets. So he looks absolutely exhausted. He looks freaking miserable. And in the corner, it says traded from the Sixers. And he went on to have much more solid careers in the NBA. And it goes down as an awful trade from the Sixers. But now I have this card. And I'm going to keep it the same way that the Patriots humbled themselves by keeping the picture of their fifth round pick that they took ahead of Tom Brady in the sixth round so that they know that not even they were perfect. Me, Bill Belichick, we are the same. But I am stuck with this awful reminder. And I love Muzzles Malone, but I hate this card. I hate it. That's it. Love you guys on the L-E-F-K-O-E. Man, thank you to David Deal. Thank you to David Ingber. Thank you to uh, everybody that is making this happen right now from Nick to Nick to Gabe uh, to Mark uh, to all of the people, to Eddie. Um, man, a lot of people. Jake, love you guys. Peace. Holla, holla, holla. Out. Pew.